Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. Welcome, folks, to another episode of EMS on the Mountain. Once again, and as usual, I am Sean and joined by my partner, Mike. Tonight's topic is going to be backcountry medical kits. And tonight we're going to talk about BLS kits for all of our EMTs, EMRs out there. As you recall, we talked uh, about first aid kits before, but when we, we had that discussion, those were first aid kits for your wellness first aiders, maybe your, your wellness first responders, your lay people, your average hikers and backpackers and stuff they should consider carrying. This one, we're going to talk about kits for actual certified licensed EMS providers at the BLS level. A lot of commonalities, obviously. Band-aids and gauze for bleeding control are applied universally. There's not magic gauze for an EMT versus a wellness first aider, right? They don't make waterproof gauze, Sean? They actually sort of do, but that's a different discussion. Yeah, I call it gauze covered in a SWAT tourniquet, but whatever. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my God. Well, so, all right. Let's so talk again. about bleeding, shall we? Well, sure. You just skip right into that. I'm just going to leap right past whatever you have written down here. And uh, <laughs> yeah. this, this is why it's so hard to find a good podcast host, folks. Yeah. This is why the guys at EMS 2020 are way better at this than we are. <laughs> Shout out to our friends at EMS 2020. I believe it's EMS 2020. I don't I think we're allowed right. to say it like that. I, I believe you're right, but what can you do? All right, let's hey. talk about bleeding, shall we? Let's do yeah. it. Generally, what we're talking about here is, is bleeding. At the uh, BLS level, this is sometimes referred to as the, uh, the part and parcel. The scope of a BLS provider is like stopping bleeding and making the boo-boo better. Well, I know this might come as a shock to everybody. But there's absolutely nothing different about a BLS bleeder kit in a front country set of equipment versus a back country set of equipment, other than quantities, right? If you have, if you're familiar with an EMS truck, you typically going to have what's called a house kit. In your house kit, you're going to find Curlex. You're going to find four by fours, abdominal pads. Hopefully, you have a kit with tourniquets in today's day and age, and then boo boos, right? Tape and two by twos, four by fours, sometimes adhesive bandages. Some folks carry uh, antibiotic kit. All in all, it's going to be the same. The big kicker here is you can't take an entire backpack full of bleeding control supplies with you into the woods because it turns out you need other space in your backpack for your bleeding control supplies. So you got to kind of think about how much of those you're carrying, but there isn't a whole lot of specialty in the bleeding control space. I prefer Curlex. I like Curlex. I think it keeps things covered up a little better than just taping a wound if you have to extricate somebody over a significant distance. But in general, bleeding control is the same, right? There are some specialty kits out there for fire crews, for fellers, but that's really just, think of it almost like a TCCC kit in a front country vehicle, right? There's going to be quick clot. There's going to be stuff to control major bleeding. Sean, I don't know about you. I don't carry a whole lot of quick clot with me when we're doing our normal wilderness dance. I carry, I do carry an H bandage. I have something for packing a wound if needed. So I've got just some regular gauze 
Uh, I've got some four by four, some two by twos, plenty of tape. I do carry Curlex. And I, I actually don't recall off the top of my head if I have a tourniquet in my kit. But I know I have two yeah. abdominal pads for the purpose of covering a large laceration if I need to. And do you now, carry anything else? I do not carry hemostatic agents with me, no matter what it is. I have in, since 1996, and we'll say even since the advent of hemostatic agents in common use, have used it once. And that was a really pretty significant bleed on an extremity. I thought you were going to say in training. No, tourniquet was unavailable at the time. And so it was like, here, we have this. So used it. And this was old school stuff, the old granulated pellets before they decided to impregnate that into gauze. So the stuff you Uh, get in your eyes in the wind? Yeah, the stuff that used to cause issues to the provider. Mm -hmm. So I've only used it once. And I've seen a lot of bad trauma wounds, and I have yet to find one that couldn't be controlled with what we'll call traditional methods, uh, direct pressure, tourniquet, and just good wound packing and and bandaging. Uh, Aside from that, now I'm a pretty standard guy. I usually have like one roll of Curlex couple of rolls of standard roller gauze i do have one tourniquet just i look at it as a it's a kind of a if you're going to need it my god i better have it Uh, Mm -hmm. the likelihood of us needing it in the wilderness context especially with our response times like if you haven't bled out by the time i get to you you probably don't need a tourniquet but some a lot of times our backcountry kits is what we have when we're traveling between places and so Mm -hmm. i just keep one in there as just general good practice in a trauma kit Yep. But other than that, just like you, a couple of ABD pads in various sizes, only yet to provide that larger bandage surface. Like, you know, when somebody has a good chunk of road rash on a shin or a forearm or a couple of good lacerations, just one thing to cover it with. But yeah, nothing different from what you've got. The the eye slid down a rock face and it's up really good. Yeah. The ad pads work well for that. I will note that there are specialty kits out there for fellers, for people that do trail work for crews that are using tools in the backcountry for wildland firefighting teams. Those do typically contain hemostatic agents. They contain multiple tourniquets. This is also assuming that the kit is kind of put together for an emergency such as, oh no, Timmy just put a chainsaw through his thigh. Yes, it turns out chainsaw wounds are pretty gnarly. They're bad, right? I mean, I've, I've heard things. I've heard things, but I've not seen a chainsaw wound personally, but I've never... I've never heard of one when it was like a boo-boo. Like if you're going to put a chainsaw yeah. through some flesh, it's <laughs> yeah. going to be a bad day, right? Yeah, that's that's not getting a small cut when you just misuse your kitchen knife. That's a no. That's, a that's not a injury there. <laughs> it's not one of those rub some dirt on it and suck it up, Timmy. Like yeah, yeah. So for all you fellers out there, please wear your chaps and such. Uh, it's dangerous. Those things have teeth on them and they move around real quick. It's bad. Yes, especially yeah for the arborist guys. And when you're up in a tree using a chainsaw in an already unstable environment, for the love of God, use your PPE. Those, I mean, I've got a good friend of mine that is a longtime arborist, and uh, for the love of God, those are some of the best videos on Instagram when guys are up there just not understanding the physics of weight transfer and stuff and <laughs> taking rides. Like, I do thoroughly enjoy those, but I can, I can imagine where a chainsaw with an 18-inch bar just flying around is bad for your abdomen. Like, yeah, yeah, it seems kind of productive. So anyway, now that we've talked ad nauseum about that, on whole... The big takeaways from a BLS kit, from a from a traditional wilderness EMS backcountry kit, as far as bleeding control, Sean and I both are not what I'll call loading ourselves down with a ton of supplies. If you're bleeding badly enough that you need hemostatic agents and multiple tourniquets, you're probably most likely not going to be in a great state by the time I get to you. Yeah. Um, and we're not carrying blood 
and warmers into the woods. So if you're really that hemostatically challenged or hemodynamically challenged, I should say, kind of in trouble. Just yeah. kind of the way it is. Yeah, not, not, not your day. So yeah. a couple of abdominal pads, Curlex, I like being able to pack wounds, right? Deep wounds don't necessarily have to be bleeders, but they do need to be packed to make yeah. sure that you can facilitate clotting. We mentioned abdominal pads. Sean and I, it sounds like we both each carry one tourniquet. So I guess between the two of us, we have two. And I do carry a few things for boo-boos, but I don't even carry that many band-aids and things. I carry uh, two by twos, four by fours, and tape. And then yeah. I like Curlex to wrap a wound in it. If it's hot, sweaty, dirty, extrication, like you can just cover the whole wound in Curlex and call it a day. Yeah. I do have like half a dozen band-aids, but that's really more for the, if I did a glucose check and your finger likes to bleed a lot, then yeah, I'll give you the band-aid for it. But I'm not, if I'm coming to you and as a wilderness provider and you're like, and can I get a band-aid for this? The answer is no, I'm not really worried about your, your minor cut at this point. And like Mike said, a two by two and some tape will take care of that one. It's, it's mostly for the glucose checks for the, the 65 year old women on thinners. Exactly. Height. Right. That, that finger we're actually there because they, they slipped and hit their head, but yeah. we got to check that glucose. So we got to make sure the finger stops bleeding. That's really the purpose of the band-aids. Yeah. I guess one way to think about it is you should be able to handle one fairly significant bleed and a couple of, or a couple of moderate ones. Right. So you can't, like Mike said, you can't bring enough to like take care of a mass casualty, super trauma situation where chainsaws were flying everywhere. But you should be able to handle at least one good significant bleed and with the same kit, or maybe two moderate bleeds. And then yeah. you're really Sounds then looking right. into partners or other responders bringing additional kit with them to start using that as well. I mean, the reality is if, if they're going to require extrication, you're going to have multiple people coming. If they're bad exactly. off, you're going to have multiple people coming. This is where combined kit makes a difference. There are two other things I do want to mention. Antibiotic equipment is, is something I carry. I know Sean carries it as well. Time and again, studies have shown, and I'm just going to make the general statement, studies have shown because I have no references whatsoever in front of me. But the sooner you start antibiotic treatments in general, whether it be IV, topical, whatever the case may be, typically the better off people are, right? Letting stuff in a wound fester in the wound for an extended period of time before they get to a place that has a little bit better capabilities of cleaning out the wound and putting antibiotic ointments on it doesn't do anybody good. So Antibiotic ointment is something that's light, it's small, it's easy. It's in the little, what those called? Cellophane, uh, not cellophane, the Aluma packs, the little aluminum. Yeah, you can get the like, basically, yeah, the little single serve ketchup packet size yeah, ones. Yep. Or you can carry a whole tube. I don't really care, but it's a good thing. Yeah, it's like before you go to bandage it, clean Just, it as best you can, smear that on there and cover it. I like the term smear. <laughs> yeah. And then it's worth note that when you're putting, if you're putting a kit together, and I, I do actually highly recommend people put their own kit together. They do not go buy a store-bought kit and call themselves a professional responder. This is where you need to kind of put your own equipment together. In general, and this is, this is kind of a hand-wavy statement, but your bleeding control equipment, because you have other things to carry, should be able to fit in a space no larger than one one-gallon size Ziploc bag. Like, that's oh, yeah. a lot of supplies. That's a yeah. lot of supplies for a wilderness responder. So don't go nuts, right? This doesn't need to take up the entire lid of your pack. This should not be taking up an entire pouch on the side of a backpack. This is at most a one gallon size bag, Ziploc bag of supplies. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Crush this on some orthopedics, my friend. All right. So we're going to talk orthopedic injury next. Orthopedic injuries for our wilderness friends out there. This is probably the number one mechanism or injury pattern you're going to see is a lot of orthopedics, especially those of us that work around 
parks or park systems, whether it's local trails, national parks, state parks, whatever it is, you're doing race event support. Orthopedic injuries is one of those things you're just going to see a ton of. With that being said, again, just like trauma, you can't take all of it into the woods with you. Sam Splints, your number one bestest friend, right? I carry two. Uh, this allows me to splint two minor things, and I have splinted a lot of double forearm breaks so, and maybe a, a radius ulna and then a tip fib with Sam Splints. We've had some people take some pretty good falls, and I've ended up actually using two Sam Splints on the same patient. So carrying two, good to have. Just kind of how I roll. Carry at least one fleas, for the love of God, at least one Sam Splint or an equivalent. There's a lot of off-brands out there now, so but pick a decent one. Kind of to go with that, the triangle bandage, the cravat, if you will. I see these as one of the best multi-purpose types of bandaging tools for you to use. Not just for the traditional sling and swath. When I used to teach this stuff to wellness first aiders, even EMT and paramedic level, right? Any orthopedic injury that happens between the belly button and the neck is going to get at least a sling and swath on it, right? You break a humerus, sling and swath. Radius, ulna fracture, wrist, sling and swath, collarbone, sling and swath, right? And I didn't mess up and say sling and sloth like so many of my people do. So good to for be me, fair, right? I've, I've probably said that multiple times. So I like to have four. Normally it's one sling and swath, but they're also handy for splinting, uh, whether you're using SAM splints or a board splint or something else. They are also excellent for those head wounds. When you're trying to keep gauze and bandaging in place on a head, it's much easier to get one of those wrapped around a patient's head and skull and tied in place to hold your other bandaging in place better than just about anything else. So I prefer to keep four. Like a bandana uh, for a biker, yo. Exactly. Uh, I'd recommend a minimum of two, but I like to go with four myself. I carry one ACE or non-specific brand named elastic roll bandage. Normally at least a two inch wide. I prefer about a three inch wide roll. I usually only carry the one. Again, it's excellent for splinting. You can use them, like if you have some of those more minor bleeding injuries, you put your ABD pads on, you can use one of those to wrap around it. You can also use that to build your pressure dressings, uh, similar in design to the purpose-built Israeli-style battle dressing. Just a good piece of kit to have. A lot of people don't always carry them in the woods. I kind of like them. And again, in a more traditional role, stabilizing an ankle or a wrist or something as well. Next on the list for me, at least one roll, normally I've been carrying two lately, is Coban or VetWrap, the slightly stretchy but self-adhering bandaging material. Excellent for splinting, excellent for keeping other smaller bandages in place, very good for keeping your IVs in place in a wellness context. <laughs> we can go into a, maybe one day we'll do another episode or a video when we start doing our video segments of taping down your IVs so that they don't come out while doing extrications. Uh, that yeah. was a test we used to have to get to is you'd insert your IV, tape it down. Somebody like, okay, you're good to go. And they pick up the IV bag and chuck it. And if it pulled the IV out of your patient's arm, you failed. Yep. Coban is a way to help you tape that stuff down, keep it in place, keep your tubing straight and make sure it doesn't come out inadvertently. And there's some other techniques to that, but I like it for that. Mm -hmm. Also good for ankles, wrists, minor injuries. Those minor boo-boos, putting that little two-by-two two on there, a little rapid Coban around something is a good choice. It's just another good multi-purpose piece of kit that I like to have with me. And when it comes to orthopedics, that's really about it. The wilderness service that we do work with, they do have the collapsible traction splints. They do have for near the ambulance. 
we do have traditional board splints available. So if we're going in with what we think might be a pretty significant mechanism where we might need some of that additional splinting material, especially something like the traction splint, then we just grab that off the unit and we toss it in one of our packs under the small collapsible style and take it with you. If not, they're getting carried. So you can do the old school, use your triangle bandages and skewer one leg to the other so it doesn't bounce around a lot. Or just once you get them inside your basket, try to, once you get them strapped in place, usually usually in a wellness thing, one inch tubular webbing or something similar, you can get that pretty well immobilized, at least well enough. So not a lot with orthopedics, very simple, nothing crazy. Just have the supplies available because these are the injuries you're going to see. And I guess I'm going to throw out when it comes to Sam splints, please, please, please know how to use one properly. I see a lot of Sam splints applied and I see most of them applied incorrectly. You got to understand how those work. Anything else with orthopedics, Mike? No, I I was going to mention the Sam splint, the Sam splint thing. You got to know how to, I mean, quite frankly, you got to know how to fold them to make them rigid. Having a floppy piece of aluminum is not going to do any good. I will mention the vet wrap stuff. I'm not condoning this, but it's perfectly fine. So I guess I am condoning it. <laughs> uh, I buy the big four-inch wrap. Mm. I buy the big horse leg wrap coband supplies from Amazon. Most medical grade medical coband stuff is going to be one inch or two inch for things like IDs or securing small things. I like getting the big four-inch wide stuff from Amazon. And typically inside the tube, it will say for equestrian use only, but it's the same stuff. Just don't show anybody the inside of the cardboard tube. That stuff is awesome because it, when you're out in the wilderness trying to secure IVs or things down an entire forearm, having that large wrap that adheres to itself is way better than trying to do it with one inch or two inch wide stuff. But that's my preference. Other than that, yeah, I got nothing. All right. Which takes us up to airway management. So think about this, BLS level, already nothing super exciting at airway level for most BLS providers. And we're going to keep this at a, we'll call it generic national level BLS provider. I understand that a lot of services allow their BLS providers to use superglottic airways and such. We're not really going to get into that here. So what we're looking at really, NPAs, nasal pharyngeal airways, and in my opinion, a BVM, right? There are a couple of manufacturers out there that make good small, when I say compact, that's a relative term in this thing, but a compact BVM. I, I personally Compact believe it's super heavy. <laughs> well, it's it's not light, but it is fairly. I mean, for a BVM, it is it's compact. Yeah, it's it's compact and it, it weighs what it weighs. A couple extra ounces for the little hard shell it's packed in. Mm-hmm. But when you get to that patient that you find out it is in a bad way that is considerably worse than you initially thought they were going to be when you got on scene, and you have to breathe for them, you're an EMS provider. You have to breathe for them. You can't just watch somebody not breathe. So you have to be able to do something. And if you don't have a BVM with you, that leaves you to uh, go on some old school rescue breathing. Mouth to mouth. So that's, it's not the preferred technique. But NPAs is pretty much your airway adjunct of choice. Now, for all of my friends who do the research and followed some of the studies with NPAs, you know, those are not a perfect solution. There's actually a lot of imperfection with an NPA. However, if you're going to carry, we'll say one or at least some sort of BLS airway adjunct, the NPA is the better choice. OPAs, yes, they can be effective, but their use case is considerably more limited as that patient can't have a gag reflex. They have to be super laid out for that to work effectively for you. Otherwise, they're just going to want them to start vomiting and that's just something you want to avoid. So most people opt to carry NPAs and we'll just kind of leave it at that. So 
a way to breathe through your patient, preferably through a BVM and a couple of basic airway adjuncts. And that's pretty much it. That's all you're doing. Let's be realistic. You're deep in the woods. You're going to be there probably an extended period of time. You don't have a lot of options. Nope. I will say that I just recently added OPAs to my kit again after taking them out. That's not because I'm super special or I think OPAs have a better use case than Sean. But uh, we had a recent experience where an OPA would have come in handy. And I made the weight decision that having the standard adult size OPAs, I think I put three of them in there and I could probably take the big boy out because if somebody's six foot seven and they need an OPA, well, the small one will do for now. But we recently had an experience where an OPA would have been nice to have. So I've thrown them back in there, but I did not put the full suite of them in there. It's just a couple of sizes for that really bad day that happens once or twice in your career. All right, let's talk about medical emergencies. Of all the things we're talking about, orthopedic injuries is going to be the top. Medical emergencies is going to be number two. And in that subcategory, number two, dehydration on a hot summer day is going to be the winner. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about BLS kits here. So there's a few things that you want to you want to make sure you're keeping track of. But honestly, top of the list for me, and I don't know why more people don't carry these, rehydration salts of some sort. Like rehydration salts, rehydration salts, rehydration salts. You can dump water into somebody all day long, especially if you're doing standbys for things like trail runs or races or whatever. Like if you're not getting some sort of electrolyte into that person that is severely dehydrated, you're not really doing them a whole lot of good. I mean, yeah. water ain't going to hurt, but electrolytes, rehydration yeah. salts, Gatorade, like that's the winner right there. Exactly. Um, it's the depletion of the electrolytes that's causing the biggest problem for folks. It's not just a lack of fluid. It's, it's the electrolytes missing that start messing with, say, your heart function. Yeah, electrical functions and stuffs. That's not to say that if all you have is water is bad, but water's heavy. And you can only carry so much of it. And water is much more effective at helping somebody get less into a less bad situation. When there's some sort of electrolyte added to the water, it does not need to be full strength, right? You can dilute the stuff. You can still find it. You can get little packets of Gatorade, like the original lime Gatorade. That stuff's pretty bomb. I don't love Gatorade. We've talked about this on the show before. I'm not a huge fan of Gatorade in general because it's just sugar water. But it does have some of the other componentry. But if you go to an REI or if you're in the Northeast, EMS, Oh, Eastern Mountain Sports. Eastern Mountain Sports for you folks that are out there on the East Coast. Yeah, threw that one out there. Typically in the camping section, you will find little packets of rehydration tablets. Those things are awesome. I'm not a big advocate of people putting them in their mouths. So I've heard of people doing that. They're really to be dissolved into water. They don't always taste the best. Yeah. um, But they, they will make an appreciable difference in the outcome for your patient. So... When we're talking dehydration, it's not just about water. It's about electrolytes and having some, some electrolyte resupply is going to be useful. But Mike, I, when I was in the Boy Scouts, they said, just put salt in my water. I mean, technically that does work, but it's not ideal. It's not all of the electrolytes you need. It's just sodium. But and raw table salt in your water can also give you a bit of an upset tummy and make you vomit, yeah, yeah. which makes your um, situation even worse. Sorry, I was thinking about that like Himalayan pink salt, which is actually oh, what yeah. my wife does. My wife actually does the pink salt thing before she goes to bed because she has yeah. a leg cramp thing. Mm. But yeah, table salt's not going to do you a whole lot of good because table salt is basically chemicals with a side of salt, right? If you're going to do salt <laughs> in the water, if you're going to do salt in the water, you need to do like the pink Himalayan crystallized or chunks of the raw salt, not the 
yeah. not to throw out any brand names, but the pure white snowflake looking stuff granules, that's not really going to do a whole lot of good. And it will make you vomit if you drink too much. of it. And that's what we're really trying to get across to you folks. Yeah. Don't puke up salt water. It's not the best. Seriously, just go buy the rehydration tablets or get some powdered Gatorade or so. It, carrying around Gatorade in your backpack, like it's heavy, right? I get it. But there are, there's actually stuff on the market now, like the liquid IV mm-hmm. pouches and things. I haven't looked at what's in the ingredients. I'm not going to promote nor dissuade anybody from using them. But there's a number of things on the market now that are for the purpose of electrolyte replenishment that you pour into a bottle of water. Let's go with one of those. How about like purpose-built stuff for the purpose of replenishing electrolytes? (laughs) Weird. Um, Huh, funny that. Hypoglycemia. Yep, it turns out people have diabetic emergencies in the woods. I know, shocker. I don't care what you use. The glucose in a tube, the glucose in a packet, it's just glucose. All the same rules apply, right? They have to be able to protect their airway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just sugar goo. I happen to be a big fan of D10 over D50 or anything else, but we're talking about BLS here. So the same stuff you'd use on a quote-unquote front country EMS response truck for BLS support of a glucose emergency. I will put out there that glucometers aren't that heavy. All my BLS providers out there carry a glucometer too. If you're going to be shoving sugar into somebody's mouth, you should be able to measure their sugar over time. Allergic reactions. This is where we get into, and I'm going to hold off on the diphenhydramine and the acetaminophen <laughs> until we get to the OTCs. But allergic reactions, this is really a combination of if you're allowed to put diphenhydramine into their system, it's not going to hurt. Honestly, if they're having a severe allergic reaction, what they need is epinephrine. But that's typically something that is going to be a system-wide thing. You can't roll up to the pharmacy and be like, hey, guys, I'd like some check-in injects, please, or some uh, auto-injectors. Thank you. So that's going to be a system-wide thing. But if you have that, you should be carrying epinephrine for allergic reactions and then diphenhydramine if you're allowed to administer that orally. But again, with allergic reactions, you also have to come with the ability to support airway stuff, which is what we talked about earlier. This is where, I'd say it, but a severe allergic reaction, though it's not ideal, a BVM is better than not a BVM. At the end of the day, if it's really, really bad, BVM is not going to do a whole lot of good. But it's better than standing there and watching them struggle. Some breathing is better than no breathing. Yes. So don't forget your BVM. But that's about all you can really do for an allergic reaction as a BLS provider without protocols and and standards for carrying epinephrine and drawing epinephrine and administering that as well. I missed anything in allergic reaction. I think we're going to call that all of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just a bad day. I mean, I guess we should mention the whole, if you're doing the the wilderness game, brush up on your credit card technique for the removal of stingers. Mm. You know? You should be able to remove the stinger. You shouldn't just leave them in people and be like, well, we're going to leave that there for four hours. We'll just cover this up and let you suffer, right? You should be able to scrape it out, get the stinger out. But there's so many things that can cause allergic reactions. And to be honest, it's, it's no different than fun country. It's just what you have in your backpack. Cardiac and respiratory problems. Those suck. They're not the best. Unless you've got a system, like a super aggressive system where you decided to carry an oxygen tank into the woods and have one of those nebulizers for BLS providers with albuterol nebs. This really falls down to the, I'll call it the standard EMT school stuff. If they have an inhaler, please assist them in the use of their inhaler for any sort of respiratory breathing problems. But otherwise, it's really going to be palliative care for cardiac emergencies and respiratory problems, right? Help them calm down. If they're super hot, right? And this, we're, we didn't actually write down a whole bunch of environmental stuff. We're going to go deep on environmental emergencies. But if they're super hot and they're breathing really fast, like we'll cool them off and help them calm down. But that's really all you can do. There aren't a whole lot of tools you can be carrying to mitigate respiratory or uh, cardiac emergencies unless, I mean, I'm not really super 
comfortable with this, but if for whatever reason your system allows you to just dump nitro into people as a BLS provider without any sort of 12 lead, I mean, I guess have at it, but uh, that wouldn't be my course of action. I, I would want to see a strip. And then general illness, right? General illness typically comes along with nausea, vomiting, often coupled with dehydration, exhaustion, attempting to hike things that you're not accustomed to or not ready for. This can also come in the form of diarrhea, you know, extended trips where you get exposed to something that kind of threw your system off. I personally don't do well with uh, multiple days of dehydrated food in general. It's, it's one of two options, but it's never the middle ground for me. Having things to just handle general illnesses, right? Pepto, Imodium, pink stuff that I can't think of, uh, Pepto-Bismol, I just said Pepto. That stuff goes a long way. Make sure you're following your protocols and you're, you're following the rules. But for extended care situations and situations where you're, you're in a more rural environment, that stuff can go a long way to making people just a little more comfortable, especially if you're on a trip or you're doing a, a crew leader sort of thing where you're the, the quote-unquote medic for the team or the provider for the team. Have plenty of those supplies. And I, I guess that kind of leads right into like, what are, we, what are we suggesting? What are we carrying for uh, OTCs and medications? Sean, any other thoughts on emergencies themselves? Now, especially like on the medical side, a lot of it is, even for paramedics, there's not a lot of stuff we're carrying into the woods that are going to make a big difference. So a lot of it is just BLS, palliative type care, palliative type care. Ketamine Try to treat the win. Yeah. Ketamine for all the things. Ketamine for everything. It's trying to treat, you know, the symptoms you can see. It's like, okay, you've been sick. We don't know why. So I know you're dehydrated. So at least let me get started on some dehydration. You've got the giardia because you've been crapping yourself too. Here, chew a couple of these pink tabs. And that's really, that's about it. There's not a lot you can do. So it's basic care. Don't try to think too far into this. Just common sense on this end. Because and Mike's about to talk to him, but OTC meds, it's all going to fall into what, what you're allowed to carry and administer. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about those, shall we? Ooh, let's. Let's. So Sean and I are a big fan of the OTCs. We're a big fan of IV medications too. But it turns out that a lot of things can be handled with a couple of ibuprofen and a couple of acetaminophen pills in the gullet and a little bit of rest. So huge fans of acetaminophen, ibuprofen. If your protocols allow for it, we're big fans of administering them together. Works great. Diphenhydramine. It is not going to stop a severe anaphylactic response immediately, but it doesn't hurt. It takes 25, 35 minutes for, especially for uh, orally taken diphenhydramine to have a significant impact on an allergic reaction. But man, if you need it, you need it. And there's no reason not to have it. I mentioned this earlier, but if your system allows for BLS providers to draw or administer epinephrine using auto injectors, I don't know of any system in my mind that still running around paying the price of auto injectors. We're generally using check and injects, which is a fancy term for a special syringe that has only one or two lines on it that you draw up to the line and administer so that you are not in violation of measurement of medication rules when it comes to BLS providers administering meds. Check with your state and local protocols. (laughs) But epinephrine for anaphylaxis is by far, right? If you need something to mitigate your anaphylactic reaction, epi's the jam. And if you have it, you need to be bringing it with you. This is not a thing you go, well, it didn't sound like an an allergic reaction, so I'm not going to take my epi. Take the epi. Always take the epi. That's like the one thing that's really going to make a difference for somebody that's having an anaphylactic response. Uh, We talked about oral glucose. I I mentioned the tubes. There's nothing special about the front country versus the back country. In a pinch, 
You can use the the runner's goo stuff. It's basically the same stuff. They may have a couple of more additives in it, but at the end of the day, it's going to bring the blood sugar up, which is the goal. And it's worth note here that water, 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 a bottle of water, a bottle of, of ambient temperature water for a patient that has been dehydrated for a while can make a big difference in helping them get motivated where they're going. And snackies, right? Granola bars and uh, we used to call it gorp back in the day, right? Trail mix <laughs> can go a long way toward, it's not even a matter of the energy produced or anything else though. Calories in energy produced, that whole ATP process. But quite frankly, just the, the act of having a snack for someone that is feeling downtrodden and tired and they're exhausted and they, they can't go on. Like, hey man, eat this granola bar, drink a little water, let's get rolling in like 10 minutes. Like give them a break and get them rolling. Having some snacks for people that have, have gone beyond their capabilities and have run out of food and water can go a long way toward motivating people and saving you hours of time carrying somebody. So it's worth thinking about carrying. Anything else on things you would carry, Sean? No, that's really at the BLS level. That's pretty much it. I mean, the acetaminophen and, and ibuprofen combo for analgesic purposes and general, their general purposes, right? You got a severe headache or something to that effect. Big, big fan of using those. Mike and I's jurisdiction allows us to administer the OTCs even when way, way, way back when we were BLS providers. It was good to be able to do that uh, because then we can at least provide some measure of comfort. It takes a little while for it to take effect, but at least we had something, which is quite frankly, we will often get OTCs on board with somebody that we're with for an extended period of time anyway. We don't only rely on IV medications. One of the first things we will do is say, well, here's some uh, ibuprofen, some uh, acetaminophen. Like, let's get started with this. And then I'm going to go ahead and get an IV and get some other things on board, but no harm, no foul. And oftentimes that's all somebody needs, right? That and a little bit of rest can get, can go a long way toward helping somebody be motivated to walk out on their own with a severely sprained shoulder, as opposed to saying, no, no, please carry me. I need to be flown. <laughs> no, and so. I will say, Mike made a good point with, with snacks. Yeah, having some, and I know what I like to carry for my personal snacks. And I try to have a couple of, we'll call it patient or guest-friendly snack versions, things that don't have like, say, peanuts all over them or other mm-hmm. common allergens. I'm not always great at it, but I try to have a couple of things. Because sometimes, yeah, that really does help a lot. Even if it's, and you got to think about this, a lot of times your parents, it could be dad who broke the ankle, but now mom's stuck with two small boys that are mm-hmm. in tow with her. And if you can give those kids a little a little chocolate, some trail mix or something, makes them a lot happier too. Yeah. So. For the three people listening that know us, yeah. if it turns out Sean and Mike have to do an extended camping trip on a mountain with a patient overnight, bringing us snacks is fully, <laughs> fully welcome as well. Because yes, you and, never seem to have enough food when you're stuck on a mountain and it's 40 degrees out and you got to stay warm all night. And we have, without shame, taken snacks from other guys who were up there going, oh, I was, I was going to eat that on the way down. Yeah, whatever. I'm staying overnight. This is now mine. Yeah, whatever, dude. I'm <laughs> staying here all night. This is my food. Peace. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Those are not your gummy bears anymore, my friend. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. All right. <laughs> the stuffs. Let's talk about the stuffs. Right. So equipment, right? This is a thing. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, what, do you, what else do you carry? All right, vital signs, folks. They're called vital signs for a reason. And Is that because they're vital? I, I think so. Okay, Not cool. mediocre signs. They are vital. So here's the deal. You're an EMS provider in a wilderness or austere environment, whether you're an EMT or paramedic. Being able to get a good set of baseline vital signs is very, very, very important. I know on the urban side, a lot of EMTs feel underappreciated or they themselves 
undervalue their own set of skills and do not think the ability to get good vital signs is a skill set they need to maintain because, well, I've got a life pack or a Zol with me all the time. You don't, but you still need to be able to get your vital signs. So even at the BLS level, I strongly advocate blood pressure cuff, stethoscope, and a portable pulse ox, right? At least be able to get those big three. Now, I would also not tell you you're wrong if you choose to carry a glucometer. I would encourage you to carry one. It's a simple... I'm going to say you should. Well, I, and like I said, I think you should. This is kind of an easy win. It's something that's super easy to do, and it's something you can check off a lot of varying ailments that a patient may or may not have. I mean, in my urban service, you are expected to get a glucose on everybody, right? They don't even have to be altered, just we do a blood glucose. And one of the reasons is you often find people who are undiagnosed diabetics. It's like, so this 420 I see, have you ever been told you have diabetes? No, congratulations, you do now, right? But a BP cuff, a stethoscope, and a pulse ox. They don't have to be super expensive pieces of kit. I know I do not, well, at least for BP cuff is a decent, I will say mid-level piece of gear for me when I buy them. It needs to be able to do its job. It needs to be fairly accurate. The pulse ox, just whatever the service I'm working with is happened to be buying at the time, they generally work good enough. And a stethoscope. You don't necessarily have to be bringing your Littman Cardiology 4 out with you, but if you do, good on you. But at least mm-hmm. have a decent stethoscope that you know can get you a BP and can get you decent lung sounds. The good news about the wilderness is there's not a lot of external noise to distract you. So even a decent mid-level, lower-end, good manufacturer, a Littman or an ADC stethoscope will get the job done. But you need to have one. I already mentioned the glucometer. I'm a proponent. I think you need to carry one. I carry one. Mike carries one. It's a vital sign. Right. It's a simple measurement you can get that just use it, right? It doesn't weigh a whole lot more. It doesn't take up a whole lot more space, depending on what your service is or is not providing you. Other ones. All right. So here's one that can be very useful and both problematic at the same time. That's a thermometer. Ideally, a good oral temperature thermometer is what you want. Or rectal Um, if you have them. Rectal is always the most preferred, especially when you're dealing with no kidding. And when Mike and I get into our environmental medicine pieces, specifically hyper and hypothermia, rectal temps is where it's at. I don't even know how many rectal temps I've given in my day. It's I'm not it's, advocating BLS providers just run out and start me neither and, people. But in my in one of the systems I work for, it's a BLS skill to do rectal yeah. temperature monitoring. So, but I would recommend at least a baseline simple oral thermometer so that. If you're suspecting somebody is super cold or super hot, you can at least try to get something of a baseline established of, yep, it does appear that way. Kind of hit or miss on quality. I'm not saying you should go out and spend hundreds of dollars on a good high-speed one that you may or may not lose in the woods, but a, a decent little thermometer, not a bad idea. I used to carry, actually, I probably still do in one of my kits, the little forehead tempadot strips. The tempadot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, They're the fine. only thing it's going to tell you is the forehead is hot. It's not really going to give you a super, super detailed temperature, but it might just help you confirm an already pretty strong suspicion. They're lightweight. They're small. If you want to chuck a couple in there, that's fine. If you're really worried about temps, that should not be your go-to. Get a thermometer. Some other smaller devices. Tweezers. The chances of this being the call you went out for is slim, but think about when you have that person that did, was out scrambling on the rock, took a fall and scraped themselves up on the way down. Having a decent pair of tweezers that you get in there and pull out some of that debris with can be handy. 
you do run across that little kid on the trail who's like got the splinter and it makes mom and dad happy if you can pull that out for him. That's when you can use one of your band-aids. Mm. I think all my band-aids are actually Star Wars or Superman or something too. Because kids <laughs> dig them. And if you're an adult and you ask me for a band-aid, you deserve it. Um, <laughs> scissors, I'm not going to even... Scissors, people. If you're an EMS provider and you don't have a good... And I mean a good pair of scissors, shame on you. I mean... I'll even go so far as to say, and this is just a me personally thing, I carry shears for the purpose of quickly removing large objects from a body, i.e., cutting your clothes off in a traumatic situation. Yeah. But I do actually carry a, an aluminum pair of, of uh, bandage scissors so that I can cut tape and things more effectively if I'm bandaging wounds. Most people don't do that. They just tear the tape and it works fine. I just like not having the little stragglies there. But if you don't have something to cut stuff with, come on. Yeah. That's a, and your knife is not the thing you use. No. It's, it's scissors. Yeah. It's shears. A good pair of trauma shears. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go out and spend... 80 bucks or more, whatever a set of Raptors cost these days, or X shear or one shear, which are all great shears. Mm -hmm. Um, Or at least buy, have a decent pair of good trauma shears. The free ones you get from your, from your local agency, they'll get the job done. But I mean, if that's all you need, that's what you need. And that's what you need to carry. Uh, We'll just leave it at that. Uh, Tick removal devices. I'm a proponent of a device called the tick twister. Again, that is a tick twister. Designed initially by veterinarians for animals when you're pulling them off dogs and horses and stuff all the time. Very efficient, much more, I would say, effective than the old, like, the little can opener looking, the little scraping one, the little, like, you kind of slide it on there and lift it from the back. The tick twister will actually get down in there and get those little tiny ticks, whereas some of the other devices can't get the smaller ticks, especially when they're still in the little early stages of their development, right? But a tick twister, It's super tiny. They're super cheap, very small, very lightweight. It's just generally worth having it. And when it comes to some of these things in a first aid kit, don't think just patient use. Think about you, yourself, your partner, your rescue team. You might end up having to treat some of your fellow rescuers like, oh man, I got this giant tick on me now. All right, hold still. I've got the tool. Pop, get it off. Because if you do some research, and I'm sure we'll have to talk about ticks one day, I have a a guest we can bring in for that guy. Yeah. Super, super, super tick nerd, but knows his stuff. The longer it ticks on you, the greater your chance of any sort of disease transmission. So you want to get those off as soon as possible. So having the tools to do it is good. Next on the list, actually, we're going to save that one. Last one, which we've talked about in a prior episode, patient care forms, a notebook, pencils, pens, whatever it's going to be, things you can use to write things down, right? For the Take love notes. of all that is holy, write stuff down. Right. And <laughs> I don't know if I, I just write it on my glove, man, that last really bad patient, Mike and I, we probably switched gloves three, four times, right? Because we're on rope in harnesses. You don't want to take your bloody glove hand and then go do stuff on your harness, get blood all over your nice, clean white rope. Mike had a shiny new white rope. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want patient blood on that thing, right? I did. I changed gloves multiple. I was going from EMS care gloves to, to rope handling gloves to well, EMS yeah. care gloves. Yeah, I was back and forth. Plus, That's what I'm I, I mean, my old school rule of thumb is you need way more gloves than you think you need. Like one even in a front country scenario, one pair of gloves in your pocket as you're stepping off the ambulance is not enough. I'm a huge proponent of put gloves on, perform whatever BSI procedure you need, and then take the damn gloves off so you don't contaminate the rest of your equipment. And then if you need to do another procedure that requires BSI, put on another pair of gloves. And and that's how I ended up changing a lot, right? So I had the med kit and it's like, I do something, do some bandaging covered in blood. Then it's like, oh, I need this out of my med bag. 
Well, it's like I'm not going to reach the bloody gloved hand into the med bag and contaminate everything in the med bag. So right. switch out gloves. And I actually popped out my Ziploc bag full of multicolored gloves. And Mike's like, what is that? And I was like, that's my bag of gloves. He's like, sweet, give me some. <laughs> I could use right? some. So I think I, I think I now, after that event, I think I have 20-ish pair of gloves. Yeah, I say I probably have usually at least a half dozen in the kit plus whatever's on my purse. Mm-hmm. So gloves are also a vital piece of equipment you need to have. So before we got off on that tangent of gloves, have plenty of gloves in your kit. You might also want to have a couple of different sizes in there for other providers, right? I carry large because I have adult-sized man hands, and that's what I wear. I very seldom have smalls or mediums in there on occasion. It's been known to happen, but they get used up, and I very seldom get them replenished. Yeah, I just don't. Gloves now. Oh, and your note-taking material. Whatever you choose to use, we've discussed that in a prior episode. Make sure you have it. I have in my radio harness, I've got a notebook in my med kit. I've got a notebook in my pocket. I've got a notebook and they all have utensils of varying styles for writing things down. You need to be able to write stuff down, vital signs, patient conditions, maybe radio call signs like, hey, you're going to be talking to this helicopter. This is their call sign, Mm. things like that. You never know what you're going to need to write down, have the ability to do so. Uh, Especially if you're working with a partner, they might be doing patient care. You might be writing down the notes of what they find and call out to you. So make sure you've got that with you. Last thing on my list of equipment. And this is an absolute must. And if you fail in this part, shame on you. It's lights. And I say lights as in plural and not just a little pen light so you can look at pupils. I'm talking you need a headlamp or two headlamps and a decent small flashlight. It doesn't have to be a big flashlight. I have like, I think 511 makes it single AAA little guy. It goes in there, right? Just because you start out in the daytime and before you know it on your wilderness world, you're reading up a couple of hours and it's getting dark and you better have a headlamp handy that you can get to. People are like, oh, well, that'll be in my backpack. Well, we can go back to the last adventure Mike and I had where mm-hmm. we had a patient and I had to stage my backpack well away from me, be on rope, carrying the kit down with me to be on rope next to Mike with nothing but my kit. So could I get up and go back to my backpack? Yeah, you can, but it was a, definitely a pain in the butt. So. If you don't have the light on you, make sure you have at least one, I recommend two, light sources available in your first aid kit and, and rant on that one. And that's really nice. about it for, for kit. It's very basic. You know what you need. Again, it's because you're in the wilderness doesn't mean you need to be inventing equipment to take with you. We can talk about, and I'm sure we'll have an episode on some other kit. Actually, I know it's, it's in our list of episodes, other kit to have in your pack with you when you go back country for a call. This is specifically about medical equipment, so we'll leave it at that. I will say that two headlamps is a minimum, and they need to be, they do not need to be super expensive headlamps, but they need to be something more than just, I was going to say Radio Shack, but nobody knows what that is anymore. Like Energizer (laughs) brand bought it at Target headlamps, right? They need to have variable dimming, ideally red light or green light. I can't tell you the amount of times Sean and I go out with almost no light whatsoever. Because we want to maintain our night vision. We, we don't want to have a bunch of bright light. We don't need the sun with us. But you do need to sometimes see things under a brighter light. And then you need to dim the light again. The one switch, one bought it at Home Depot headlamp all thing on or is probably not going to cut it. It's not going to cut yeah. it. Um, yeah. And again, there's plenty of options that are out there on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Black Diamond, Petzl, uh, who makes uh, Princeton Tech makes Princeton a headlamp. Tech. My the Fred Mike and I both yep. big fans, right? I'm Takes just fan. a couple of triple A's, dimmable. Most uh, I think they have an option that's got red light on it. Mm-hmm. 
and they're like under 20 bucks, right? So plenty of headlight options that are good headlights yep. that aren't going to break the bank on you. Yeah, you don't have to spend $300 on some super battery monster Petzl caving headlamp, right? So, but right. decent lights, folks, just like the rest of your kit. Unfortunately, this is one of those professions where investing money in good kit really is an investment, right? It's kind when of a must. Mike and I, like my, my wife used to be like, oh my God, how much is that raincoat? How much is that jacket? Until she got her own and then realized that, wow, some of that money is very well spent. Good mm-hmm. kit is worth having. You can get by with some of the lower end stuff, depending on what you do, but invest in your kit. Buy the good stuff or at least good mid-grade level things, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not everything has to be top of the line. Some things maybe should. You don't have to go broke making sure you're outfitted well to do this work. Uh, and actually, that's something we probably should have listed, right? Your BLS kit should include all of the snivel gear and all of the things to keep you functional as a provider for an extended period of time. That's actually a whole nother episode we're going to record. Yep, it is. But um, <laughs> but yes. So The yeah. list of equipment, and, I mean, going out there with a bunch of stuff to take care of other people without having the stuff to take care of yourself is kind of like shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, exactly. Right? And we are going to record an episode on what we recommend you do and do not carry. And all the, all the hand-wavy, good internet, like <laughs> Monday morning quarterbacks that'll tell you all the things you need to do search or rescue work. And we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll cut through the, the wheat and the chaff on that one. Yeah. All right, Sean. Well, it's been about an hour, give or take. Final thoughts? Uh, just a couple of points for, we'll call them our key take-home points. Big one. You can't carry all of it. So think about your mission and carry the most appropriate amount or type of whatever it's going to be, bleeding control or orthopedic injuries, et cetera, right? Like for your OTCs, you don't need the 500 pill bottle from Walmart. You can break that down into much smaller loads. Try to make as much of your stuff multi-purpose as possible, like Coban or Ace Wraps. You can use them for different things. So it's not just a, a one-shot item. Remember, you're going to have other people showing up, hopefully. So if you have to get into other people's kit, hopefully they'll have it with them. And that's really, that's really about it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a big one my kid on very early in it is this is not, as a, as a professional responder, whether BLS or LS, this is a kit you really need to build out yourself because it needs to be based on your skills and experience, your authorized protocols and procedures, what you're allowed to do, and your environment. This is a very difficult one to just go off the shelf by a BLS responder kit and call it good. Now, there might be a kit out there that's very well made and can do it, but taking the time to build it out yourself because then you know exactly what you got and where it is and it's, you know it's set up for you and your needs is the way to go. If that's, that's a good starting for point me. for you, it's a good starting point, right? Oh, yeah. And if you're new to this game, it may be a good starting point, but you need to constantly be tweaking your equipment and constantly thinking through the equipment you need and constantly evaluating what's... Like, I mentioned these earlier when we were joking around, but SWAT tees, right? Mm. Horrible. I, I don't want to say horrible. Not less than ideal in the game of tourniqueting major bleeding, right? Like yeah. not the ideal major bleed solution space. Awesome if you need a compression bandage or oh yeah, you need to cover gauze because it's raining and you want to keep the gauze and the wound covering relatively dry. Even a, like an ab pad or a, a five by nine or a five by seven on an arm with lacerations. Just take that guy. It, it holds everything in place. You wrap it from one side of the wound to the other. It's rubber. It keeps the wound dry. Like awesome solution to that problem. But they aren't marketed for that, right? This is just stuff you learn through experience. So you should yeah. be constantly thinking about the things you come across, looking at things, and, and building out a custom kit for your environment, your specific region of the world that you're in, and your personal needs. 
Yeah. And I will say with uh, SWAT tees, if everybody's not, it's about a four inch wide, just long. It looks like old therapy band, like rubber, stretchy stuff. But they found those are actually work really good for dogs and horses. It's very, very popular amongst like canine TCCC type stuff because you can stretch it around a good dog's funky anatomy. So it could be multipurpose in that way too, if yeah. you're dealing with animals you know, if of any if flavor. Doing, if you're doing BLS wilderness rescue and door kicking with dogs, right? <laughs> or, hey, <laughs> parks have dogs and horses. Our park has horses. You That's never true. know what you're going to get called to. That's um, true. That's true. I was just teasing. You're right. You're right. It's going to be a horse. But yeah. I mean, Mike and I have both been stopped for visitors who've had injured dogs. Injured like, dogs. Yep. Yeah. Snake bite. Maybe yep. it cut itself. Who knows? But yeah. Oh, hey, that's worth note. You just just spurred something in me, Sean. Oh, Nowhere super. in this list of stuff did we have a bunch of <laughs> snake bite management stuff listed. No, right? that's, that's in my other notebook. It's quite frankly not a thing that needs to get thrown in as a major BLS thing. I mean, if you live in an area like the, the, snake bite. the, the uh, Pacific, not the Pacific, geez Louise, the Southwest, right? <laughs> Or even here in the Mid-Atlantic where we are, uh, rattlers are a thing, but mm. you don't need to carry a whole snake bite kit. Like those snake bite kit things are not There's no such thing as a snake bite kit. And actually, we're going to have an episode on snake bites. It's one I've been working on. And we'll discuss these commercial, and I'm air quoting that one, snake bite kits. Mm-hmm. And yeah, science says no. But we'll science get to that. No. Yep. Yeah, we'll get to that. That's that's. I probably said too much already. I don't want to. I don't want to blow up your spot, homie. Yeah, I think we're gonna wrap this up and say bleeding control, yeah. orthopedic stuff, medical emergencies, OTCs, and then the things you need to do your job: blood pressure cuffs, stethoscope, lights, yeah. headlamps. Please, for all that is holy, headlamps for the win. <laughs> Tweezers, shears, thermometer, and you're off to the races. This should all fit in a. Uh, what were the old school? The M. Something butt packs, military butt packs. I can't oh. think of them. Anyway, like some <laughs> sort know. of some sort of like fanny pack, right? Like a mid-sized yeah. fanny pack at most. Should, that in fact, that's what Sean and I use. We just recently converted to some Conterra fanny pack style things, and that includes all of our ALS equipment as well, leaving yeah. plenty of room in our pack for water, clothing, rain gear. I don't know if I'd call it plenty of room, but enough. Well, enough. Um, yeah, but this you do not need an entire backpack full of supplies, especially at the BLS level, to go off in the woods and provide care to ninety percent of the injuries you're going to see. So, yeah, nope. I say I, I will just throw out there that uh, after this episode's released, check our social media, especially the the uh, book face, and there'll be some pictures of some sample BLS kits and size, and they're going to have pretty much everything we've talked about. I'll put that list out there with them, just so people can see that yeah, all of this stuff is in here, and it doesn't have to be huge. And if you have specific equipment you want our opinion on, hit us up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're happy to happy answer, to answer, answer questions. The show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media and we're happy to answer the questions. I monitor our Instagram. Sean does a really good job of monitoring our Facebook. And we're more than happy to answer questions on anything you might have questions about. So with that, uh, should we call this one in the bag, sir? I would. All right. We're in the bag. Peace. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.